Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. We're presented, as always, by BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts, the exclusive partner, of course, the Podcast One Sportsnet, of which this podcast is part of. Don't forget to use the promo code PODCAST1. You get that 50% sign-up bonus today. BetOnline.ag, taking you inside NFL coaches hiring today. No better person to do that than Joe Banner the former president of the Eagles for 17 years and the president of the Browns as well. He's got unique insights, as hopefully I do as well, on what goes on in the coaching search, what happened with the four teams that just hired coaches, or the Browns, as we sit here today, still haven't hired, and he's got great perspective on that. Talk to Joe Banner in a minute. First, my rant of the week is about Mike McCarthy. I talked to Joe about this as well. I hired Mike 14 years ago in the coaching process, and we picked him over Sean Payton. There was some familiarity with Mike. He was on the staff years before with Ray Rhodes, one year as quarterback's coach. And it was just interesting to me to see Mike get the play that he deserved. You know, it's tough being in Green Bay where he's been this past year not working for the team. Everything everywhere is about the Packers living there not working for the team can be tough. I feel for him. It's good to see him hired, of course, with the Jones family as the new coach of the Dallas Cowboys. That's good to see. As I talked to Joe, I had a team ask me a lot of questions about Mike McCarthy. It was not the Cowboys, I can tell you that. So he had interest out there. So we talk about leverage and negotiations. I talk about it with Joe. With all the new hirings, you have to see who's in play, what's going on. And, you know, in terms of just setting this up, when people make inquiries about coaches, you know, it tends to be the same people, same old time. And, and, Joe Banner was extremely impressed with Matt Rule, and he talks about that. And the two of the four teams that were looking for coaches really zeroed in on Matt Rule, that being the Giants and the Panthers, and the Panthers got their guy. So we'll talk about that all ahead. Without further ado, my guest, a former NFL executive, unique insights, someone that I enjoy having on the podcast, as you do, my regular guest, Joe Banner. This time of year, I can't think of anyone better to talk to than my buddy Joe Banner, president of the Eagles so many years, president of the Browns. Yeah, what's going on out there is the necessary, inevitable change in the NFL every time this year. On the player side, and I specifically want to talk on the coaching side, I'll lend my insights on Mike McCarthy, etc., and I'll lend Joe's insights as well. Uh Hey, pal. Good to be on the podcast again. You're one of the regulars. Well, I appreciate it. It's always good to talk to you. Glad we're talking this time of the year instead of doing what uh, five teams have been doing. <laughs> yeah, let's start right there. Did you the, the number five, and it just seems like that number is already ro- always sort of rotating between three and eight. Uh, the the change in coaches every year, and one of one of them again, Cleveland. What's your reaction to the number? Did you expect more? You know, what was your reaction to situations like Jacksonville or any others that maybe you thought would go a different way? You know, I'm I'm not too surprised with the number. It's about where I thought. I mean, I had, uh, like everybody, some questions about Jacksonville and Atlanta, but uh, I think when the Tom Coughlin thing came out, and I actually have a fan of Doug Marone's as a coach, I thought he did a really good job in Buffalo. They hadn't had a winning record in like 15 years in year two with Kyle Orton as his quarterback. He went nine and seven. 
Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, he did very well the first year. So I'm actually glad to see him getting another year. And, you know, Dan Quinn is just a great guy and a spectacular leader, and he went six and two and a half, second half of the season. So I'm also glad they gave him time. You know, the situations, you know, <laughs> Cleveland seems to be every year, every other year, and the other four teams, it just seemed like they're given the people in place enough time and, you know, enough opportunity, and they just hadn't delivered, and it was time to make a change. And, you know, it's 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 good in my mind to see not just the next or last coordinator get hired, because, frankly, all of us who are close to these people know that, that that's been pretty picked through. Yeah. And uh, changing eight guys a year just leaves you with a very thin pool. So I'm glad to see what's happening so far. Yeah, we'll start with Cleveland. You know, I wrote my column about them, and no one knows them better than you. And, you know, again, I'm looking at it from afar. Uh, I've always kind of been, well, if he's going to change out people so much, that means he, meaning the owner, Jimmy Haslam, is just trying to get it right, and he's willing to spend tens of millions on fired people to get it right. But it just seems like when you do that over and over again, how can you defend it? And and the De Podesta thing, I, the man behind the curtain seems like he was there, but then he was there, not there. Then they hired coaches and GMs that don't buy into analytics, it seems. You know, just from, from your view, having been there, what do you make of this? What do you make of this constant turnover, constant change? What's the direction of the franchise? Well, you know, this is how I say it. Um, try not to say this with any ill will, although obviously being fired there was not a pleasant experience. But yeah. there's only two possibilities in my mind. One is either just absolutely terrible at hiring people. Or two, he's hired some good people but hasn't given them enough time to succeed. Um, since right. I'm one of the people he hired, I actually like the second option much better than the first. But I don't know what the third option could be. So at some point, he's got to trust his instincts on who he hired. He's got to be prepared to support them and give them a reasonable amount of time to be successful. So and he's hired, fired two coaches after one year. He's hired... He's fired three general, uh, four general managers, and none of them got more than two years. So, you know, I just think he's got to, I hate to say it this way, but he's got to look in the mirror and own his piece of what isn't working. Because as I say, he's either hiring the wrong people or he's not giving them enough time. If somebody can think of a third option, I'd love to hear what it is. So he controls that part, either getting better at hiring or giving the people he's hiring more time because he trusts his hires. Um, and until he does that, I'm afraid we're going to continue to see this. I mean, he, you know, interviewed McCarthy and passed him, and maybe that was a mistake because he really needs some stability. And, you know, you know better than I, but I think of Mike that way. Yeah. You can get Matt Rule in, who to me was the best available candidate. And his current interviews are back to kind of the coordinators that are a projection. So, right. Not, I'm not sure he's done that look in the mirror that he needs to do. What's your assessment of what I wrote about where it looked like they were going to be first movers in the leadership coming from analytics? Now, you and I know analytics is all over the league in some form or another. Some teams are more vocal about it than others. But you got this guy, allegedly, I guess, living still in San Diego with his title. And it seems like he hasn't been empowered, but now he is empowered. But then we hear the GM and the coach are going to report directly to Haslam and not to him. 
I mean, do, do you, what do you make of that situation? Yeah, I mean, listen, this, the, despite what he said in his press conference, the first part of which is true, there are all different structures around the league that have succeeded. There isn't like one structure, okay, this is the structural answer. He's right about that. Right. But what the second part of that is, he is, he is an owner who is part of the time in Tennessee and a lot of time in Cleveland, but not every minute of every day. And he's got three direct reports with the people, including Paul, who are responsible for all of the football decisions. And although there are different structures that worked, I don't know any place where that's worked. Yeah. And I remember when I, he interviewed me before he had hired me off for a job, I said, I said to him, whether you hire me or not, unless you are going to be there every minute of every day, do not have the people running your football department report to you. You're obviously the owner. You can veto anything you're involved in, everything you want to be involved in. But these relationships and these decisions need to be managed on a moment-by-moment basis. They're very challenging. And nobody in the, in the NFL is successful. is isn't a hardcore type A person who, frankly, is very strong-willed and has a tremendous amount of self-confidence. So if you're going to put three people in charge of this and you're not managing those relationships and the decision-making on a daily basis, you run the risk of great division. And that's exactly what's happened so far. Well, he's replicating that. He's still got three reports. They all report to him and he isn't there. He's there a lot, but he isn't there every minute of every day to manage those relationships and the decisions. So, you know, he's not heeding my advice, but more importantly, he's not heeding what we've seen work around the league. And so, I mean, again, without putting words in your mouth, wh- whoever, and as we sit here today, they remain the one franchise that has not hired a head coach. It just seems to me a continued rep- recipe for failure. I mean, are my, are you, am I seeing it wrong? No, I, listen, I think the, the risk of the next team facing challenges similar to the last is extremely high. It's not a guarantee. You and I both know you hire one key person who's really great at what they do, and it can change everything and overcome all kinds of other issues. So I'm not here sitting saying that whatever he does next has no chance to succeed. But I am sitting here saying it's going to have less chance or it's going to be harder to succeed than other ways he could be doing things. You know, it's very possible that Paul is the voice that, you know, helps the hiring process uh, produce a more uh, correct name in the end. But three different people all with major voices on football and football decisions, all reporting to the owner who isn't there every minute, to me is the hardest structure to be successful under. Let's move to uh, my former coach, who I helped hire 14 years ago. It just seems like time flies. Mike McCarthy in Dallas. Um, I'll tell you in front of our audience that there was one of the teams, I won't say which one, not Dallas, not Dallas, that called me and kept me on the phone for about an hour asking all about Mike, was very impressed, I could tell, was very, uh, thought, heard things from him they didn't expect, um, things that they were impressed with. Anyway, they were. I guess they were sort of looking at me, if, are there any red flags, is there anything we should know that we don't know, if we really like them, we really like them. Which tells me that Mike had perhaps options and leverage. We'll get to leverage even more with Matt Rule. But 
What do you think was going on in Dallas with Jason Garrett and then the famed, I guess, sleepover of Mike McCarthy and hiring him during the Eagles playoff game? So I think what's now starting to kind of come out um, is exactly the um, reality of what happened. I mean, I think they were very open with Jason, and he understood that unless something really unusual happened, he was not going to be retained and was willing to kind of uh, you know, wait and see and understood they were going to start speaking to some other people. So I don't view this like, remember a few years ago, Steve Ross ran off and interviewed Jim Harbaugh while he still had a coach in place and hadn't said a word to the coach about his future. You know, I think this was a situation where you got people that actually liked each other, respected and were communicating openly. And the Joneses probably said to him, listen, it's not a zero chance we retain you. But the truth is we want to go in the marketplace and interview these people, and it's likely we're going to make a change. So I'm not as uncomfortable as some have been with the way that situation went. And, listen, I think they were wise. Uh, you know Mike better than I do. I know him mainly from the outside. I've certainly met him, but I don't know him well. Right. But he seems like a very stable, solid leader who's going to put together a good staff and how to manage it and can take advantage of the talent they have and the nature of that organization. So, um, and I, you know, sleep over, you know, I think every one of us, and you probably have this experience as hired a coach, wish we had even more time with them to get to know them a little better. Right. So the idea that they spent the evening together and dinner together and got up the next morning, you know, <laughs> certainly unusual, probably not going to be replicated often, but probably gave them a chance to just feel a little more sure that they were comfortable before they pulled the trigger. So that's how I view it. And I think I think it's a good situation for him. And I think he's a good fit for where they're at right now. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the team, not Dallas again, that, that one thing they were impressed by Mike, well, one thing that obviously would fit with Jerry Jones was that just wanted to coach, no personnel, no cap, you know, he just wanted to coach, which obviously <laughs> makes sense now that he was hired by the Jones family. But the other thing was that, and you can tell me how rare this is, he didn't come to the interview with, I got my guys. I got my friend here. It's going to coach this. I got this coach or this coordinator or this guy. He came in saying, you know, there's some guys out there that I've admired that I had trouble coaching against. That I don't even know them. I don't know them at all, but I would go after them. How rare do you think that is? I think that's pretty rare. Um, but it's funny to hear that because I've always said, for me, when I interviewed a head coach and the discussion about staff was a big part of it, because I think it's one yeah. of the most important things, you know, one of the most important things an owner does is decide who to hire. One of the most important things a team president does is decide who to hire. And one of the most important things a head coach does is decide who to hire. So I've always said that discussion to me was much more important in terms of learning how the coach thought about hiring and what he looked for in people that he hired than the actual names. So hearing you say that is actually very impressive to me and probably was very informative to the Joneses because it's easy to throw out names and some of them may be available or not, or some may be names that three different coaches are running around. You know, when I hired in Cleveland, there were three different people we interviewed. They said they were going to hire North Turner as the offensive coordinator. Mm. North can only be in one place at a time. Yeah, but that discussion would would really be informative as to what is how is he thinking about this? The fact that he realized, looking at coaches, that he had trouble coaching against 
to me is a great insight. And if I was in it, it really gives me a lot of confidence that the guy was going to find the right people. Even if he got it wrong the first time, he knew what the right thing to look for was. So I do think that's unusual, but I think it's very Yeah, and I think, you know, people, you said something that no one really thinks about. You know, they say, well, they interview, they go out to dinner, they spend the day together, they, you know, then the wife comes in or whatever it is. But you're right. I mean, this is the leader of your franchise, and you, you can't spend enough time or inquiry about them. And I'll tell our audience, you know, you and I have been friends a long, long time. But early on in our relationship, I get this call from you out of the blue. <laughs> like, can you tell me about your client? I was an agent, Matt Hasselbeck, and how he feels about Andy Reid, who was a quarterback coach in Green Bay, Wisconsin at the time. And I'm like, wow. You know, they're going deep. They're calling the agent for a third-string quarterback. You know, I, I, you know, obviously, I'm not blowing up up you because uh, we're friends. But I just thought I thought at that time and still to this day, 20 years later, how impressive that was. Does that does that happen? I don't think it happens often. You know, but uh, hopefully. It's not totally unique. I mean, listen, you go into this hoping you're hiring a coach for 10 years or more. Yeah. And you know the success of your franchise is totally tied to getting this right for at least the next three years. So that's your joy, your satisfaction, your economic well-being, maybe your job security, that, that you would leave any stone unturned to me is unforgivable. I mean, that's yeah. part of we stuck on Cleveland for a minute. I don't want to overspend on Cleveland, but that's why I say they've either hired good people and didn't give them enough time, or they haven't had the right process to hire the right people to begin with. Because I think every team should be doing those kinds of things. And, and you know, especially, remember, Andy was the first guy that had never been a coordinator or a head coach at any level that was hired as a head coach in the NFL, and that's why we were going so deep to make sure that what we thought we knew and what we thought we met was, in fact, what we met. Let's turn to the other two situations, and they're tied at the hip because of one guy, and that's the new coach of the Carolina Panthers, Matt Rule. And again, we don't know exactly what to believe, what we're led to believe, that the Giants were hard on his heels trying to hire him as well which gave him extraordinary leverage, which he used or his agent used to get him a reported extraordinary deal, $60 million plus incentives. First of all, you know, you know better than media. Do you think that was the case? Do you think that it was like a free agent hot, hot box situation where they just wouldn't let him leave and gave him whatever he wanted and because of the Giants' interest? And then uh, I've seen you on social media. You seem very, uh, very uh, commending this hire. So I'll let you speak to that. So I am a huge Matt Rule fan. Um, everything Why? that I think is consistent in the top NFL head coaches is Matt Rule. And I couldn't find anybody 
who's worked closely with him or knows him well or plays to him that wouldn't agree with that statement. Hmm. And I think that, you know, two years ago, people don't know this. He was interviewed with the Indianapolis Colts after being one and 11 at Baylor. Wow. And they seriously considered hiring him. So this is, I think what most would agree, certainly one of the top few general managers in the league. He just interviewed a, head, a potential head coach who had only coached in a major college program one year and went 1-11 and seriously considered hiring him. My point is, he is so impressive in person, it's hard to exaggerate. So uh, I've advised the teams in the last few years on searches and said, listen, if you can get Matt Rule to take the job, I don't care what it takes, you should hire him. So time will tell whether I'm right or wrong. But I think that's what happened. I think that uh, the Temper met him and just felt like this is exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, this history, the track record, the record of success, overcoming obstacles, hiring great staffs, working collaboratively. You know, I, I listened to a podcast he did once that was just fascinating on when you're throwing the ball in the red zone, if you're throwing it near the goal line, you throw it low. And if you're throwing it near the, near the back of the end zone, you throw it high. Mm. It was just so fascinating to listen to how he thought about it and how he came to this conclusion and why it was so true. You know, it was like you were listening to a, uh, you know, a professor who was like the best in his field. So, I think they certainly had the benefit of leverage. They also had the benefit of these college coaches of making a tremendous amount of money. And I think you're absolutely right. They were not going to let him out the door. And if it was even remotely reasonable or justifiable, they were going to hire him as their head coach. Uh, yeah, I don't want to let you off the hook there, Joe, or not off the hook. But just you mentioned the, the story about low in the front of the end zone, high in the back of the end zone. What else? What else makes you think so highly of Matt Rule? Take us inside your thought there. So my experience in life, not just in football, is people who are successful uh, get successful not because they don't face challenges and obstacles that would stop other people. It's because they find a way to overcome all those challenges and obstacles. He went to Temple while I was in Philadelphia, and they were struggling to find a way to win three games a year. A great year was five wins. Yeah. And by his second year there, he had them in the top 20. He went down to Baylor that was struggling and had some massive off-field problems with athletic directors getting fired and previous coaches getting fired. I can tell you for a fact, everybody telling him, you're crazy to go there. There's no way you can succeed. And at the end of the third year, he's in the top 10 in the country. So that's huge to me. People that just have a track record of overcoming challenges and succeeding. And then we referenced this earlier. He has consistently hired outstanding people. And, you know, most times people would be afraid of somebody bringing college coaches to the NFL who didn't have NFL experiences. And by definition, that would scare me, too. But if Matt Rule told me he was going to bring somebody with him from college, I wouldn't even worry about it because he's demonstrated such an ability to evaluate coaches and people that he's going to manage that I have no doubt he's going to put together a great staff. Um, so to me, those are the things. And, and if you met him, 
you know, people use this term. I use this term. He's the CEO. He's going to put together an entire program. Believe me, mm. he's going to have a great medical staff. He's going to have a great trainer. He's going to have the state-of-the-art information and science on how to keep players healthy and get them healthy. Every single element of putting together a successful program, he will implement. If you were advising him now, we turn to the teams. You know, you have Carolina, you have Giants with a much bigger name brand. Of course, the Giants, the old line franchise. Panthers with a billionaire owner willing to do what it takes. Assuming he had both, how would you advise? So, listen, I, I think that the uh, fact that the Giants have a quarterback is the big differentiator, and I think that makes it a better situation. But I'm so impressed that he wasn't afraid of taking the bigger challenge. I mean, we've seen general managers who everybody knew was, was the hot candidate in demand, and because some team didn't already have a quarterback in place, they were hesitant to take the job. It reminds me of Andy Reid. I used to, people say to me, when did you know you got it right on Andy Reid? I said, the minute I realized he had set up no explanation or excuse for failure, because it had never crossed his mind that he was going to fail. That's how Matt Rule is. So the fact that Carolina doesn't or maybe doesn't have a quarterback now, at least they don't for sure have a quarterback now, whether that's a talent or a health statement, um, I think is part of what makes me so confident he's going to be successful. But if you just said to me purely, which do you think is a better situation, I would have told you I think it's the Giants. How much do you know about ownership? I mean, obviously you know the Maras from competing with them for so many years. How much do you know about Tepper? with Carolina, uh, what he's willing to do, being a new owner, taking a little bit of risk with things like Eric Reed. What do you know about that situation? So I know a couple of things. I was working with a person who uh, some teams have hired to produce some really, really state-of-the-art analytics information. And one of the teams we met with last year was uh, Carolina to possibly hire him. It turned out that they didn't hire him but it was clear that the insight, the aggressiveness, the willing to spend was there. So I had that small experience. The only other thing I know is we have some common friends, some common business associates uh, that know him in New York, uh, and they absolutely rave about him. Uh, his determination, uh, his commitment to success, um, his willing to do what it takes to win, I don't mean that just in football, but to win, to win in life. Um, described as a great, loving family man. So those two things leave me very hopeful he's going to be a really good owner. But I don't have firsthand dealings with him to say that from. Well, let's move to the Giants, our last situation with new, new coaching. Um, I've been around football a long time. I never heard the name Joe Judge until yesterday. You? No, same thing. I literally had to Google his name. <laughs> <laughs> Big Google search day for him. No, it was, it was uh, shocking that I, I, if you said to me that somebody just hired a head coach in the NFL, is there a chance you haven't heard of him? I would have said no. But they did, they did that. And, you know, listen, I have a kind of a complex reaction to that. On one hand, that's really kind of surprising because, as you know, people in the league kind of talk a lot and, and I've always been somebody to ask people, like, you know, who are the best coaches on your staff? Anybody in the staff that could be a head coach someday? I've been asking that question for 20 years. Um, and then, you know, you come up with, you know, somebody that it's not just you and I that weren't familiar with. I mean, I talked to a 
a couple of general managers yesterday, and they said, no, I had to look up who it was. On the other hand, you know, to me, having done that with Andy Reid, where he was certainly better known than, than, than this guy, but he wasn't in – I mean, Green Bay was hiring a head coach at that moment and didn't even interview him. So he wasn't uh, the front of mind of people to be a head coach at that time. Mm-hmm. So I kind of admire that they had the courage and the confidence and the conviction that if they met him and thought he was special, as opposed to being the fear of failure that drives so many decisions in the NFL, they actually didn't get stopped by that. They trusted themselves uh, and hired him. So I'm actually hoping he works out because it's so rare that we see people willing to take the risk of being wrong so visibly and so public in the NFL, and I think it's great when it happens. So I'm, I'm hoping they got it right. I'm too, and you see special teams slash wide receiver, and then you think, putting aside the special teams, you know, uh, there seemed to be a running theme with the Patriots this year that either their wide receivers weren't meshing with Tom Brady or they overinvested with a first-round pick this year, a second-round next year for Sanu, the failed experiment with Antonio Brown, like, and you're thinking, like, wait, wait a minute, wide receiver coach it at New England? That didn't go so well. Of course, special teams always great there. So it did sort of raise some eyebrows. Yeah, the thing, though, that's interesting, and, and you and I experienced this, and we've talked about it before, the description for a position coach or a coordinator and the job description for a head coach are so different. Yeah. So the fact that uh, his unit, at least uh, didn't appear to be as successful as they needed to be or appeared to be, um, to me isn't disqualifying. I mean, it does cause you to pause, and I'm sure they had to talk about it in the interview. But if you're looking for this person that we were talking about earlier who's a great leader and attention to detail and evaluator of other coaches and managing a staff and able to lead an organization, the fact that he didn't succeed at least it appears he didn't succeed in developing the wide receivers on that team this year, uh, doesn't overly concern me. I don't think it's predictive, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Have you ever heard of a special team slash anything coach? You know, again, we're not talking no. about high school football where you got only six coaches on your, four coaches on your staff. That one kind of toggled yeah. me as well. Yeah, I don't even know how he had time. Listen, we, we have John Harbaugh. And I was one of John's reference and enthusiastically recommended him when the Ravens asked about him. And he had been a special teams coach for years and then had moved to defensive back coach. He was never doing both. I don't even know how you do that, how you have time to do that, or how you can pay the proper attention to both jobs adequately. But who am I to second-guess Bill Belichick, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right, I know our time is running out. We're, We're bringing in this plane for landing my question now is to the football side we're in the most i think the most interesting week of the year with the divisional playoff round um it's always hard for me i don't know if it's this is true for you too joe but when people ask me who i pick for things and i just i can't seem to get past my biases of course i'm going to pick the packers you know 10 10 years there and I don't know if that's true with you and the Eagles, and I have some bias towards the Eagles as well, knowing everyone there as you do. So I tend to pick those teams. When you look at these four games, your thoughts? 
Well, my big challenge is uh, also a bias. I mean, yeah. I worked with Andy Reid for 14 years. Uh, we remain close friends. I, I share part of his pain and having so much success and not winning a Super Bowl and would love to see that <laughs> that loop closed. Yeah. I also have a great relationship and worked with uh, John Harbaugh for almost as long. Um, so I have the same uh, biases. I mean, I, I, if you ask me who the best teams are right now, I think the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. And I think right now San Francisco is the best team in the NFC. But that doesn't mean they win. Right. And, uh, you know, my, my actual rooting interests are more complicated than, than that based on you know, knowing all these people. I mean, I hired Kyle Shanahan in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I got fired two weeks after I did. Um, and so I'm pleased when he does well because I feel like it shows that I was on the right track right. with people I was hiring. So, you know, you have all kinds of different things that affect who you're rooting for. But, um, you know, I'd love to see Andy finally be able to shut people up who are so skeptical that he's a good coach, but he's not good enough to win the Super Bowl. No, he's plenty good enough to win the Super Bowl. For a variety of reasons, it hasn't happened yet, and uh, I, I'd love him to be able to just finally be able to take that big sigh of relief and, and hold that trophy. Uh, but, you know, if, if the Ravens won it, I'd probably be just as happy, or San Francisco won it. Um, and all the teams in it this year are teams where I generally like the people running the team, so that's not always the case. So as you know, makes it a little more complicated who to root for. But if you just said to me, who do I think of the best two teams? I think it's Kansas City and San Francisco. Yeah, I do like the Chiefs coming out of the AFC. On the NFC, again, I admit to bias here, but it just seems like the Packers won 13 games and not played their best football. Now, maybe they still won't play their best football on Sunday or next Sunday. But I'm just thinking, wow, if they actually play a good game, you know, they can beat anyone. But, but winning 13 games, you know, kind of doing just enough to win. And I just wonder if that can translate because I, I, they clearly have something they haven't had in sort of the Aaron Rodgers era, which is defense and running. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, and, by, and on my uh, self-promotion tour, I mean, the head coach <laughs> yeah. that I hired just before I left was Mike Patton, who's fixed – the defense in Green Bay, and the offensive right. coordinator was Kyle Shanahan, who's now running the 49ers and has done a fantastic right. job there. So these are all real quality people, and, and I agree with you. They're 13-3, and three, and they look like they can play even better than they have. So we'll see if it can show up the next few weeks. Always great to have you, Joe. You're a good friend, and I know the podcast listeners love having you and having us just – chop it up like this like we're talking in some back room of a, of a football team it's fun thanks for being with me i'll talk to you again soon <laughs> sounds great appreciate it really hope you enjoyed joe i mean joe and i again i'm trying to sort of take you inside as if we were having a conversation in person or on the phone and let you eavesdrop about two people who have been in the nfl a long time and seen what's happened really hope you enjoyed that a final word from our sponsor bet online this is the big weekend it's divisional playoff round in the nfl as you know we just talked about the teams in there everything's in there for action for bet online you've got the nfl playoffs you've got the divisional round you've got the championship game in college you've got nba action continuing of course lsu clemson is the big one and then we've got the nfl schedule of all the the games that are going on 
Visit BetOnline and our exclusive partner, Podcast One. You take advantage of the best bonus in the business, 50% sign-up bonus today using that promo code Podcast One. Don't forget to use it, and you can bet on all the action. There's NBA stuff as well this week. Boston's at Philly, Houston's at OKC, the Lakers at Dallas. Those are some good games as well. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports podcast. Thanks to my musician extraordinaire, who happens to be my son, Sam Brandt, my producer, the guru, Brian Neal, and to you for following me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt, for giving us any rankings and comments on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate those. And I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.